please. This is one of my favorite stories, and it comes in the middle of other stories. That's the way that the Gospels are put. And the problem is, then we take a look at each individual story as a discrete unit. Next week, you'll see why that's not what you want to do. But today, it won't be that shocking. We're going to just talk about death and illness and life and Christ as he takes a walk. Now, Travis and Nicole already read this, so you, you should be in Mark chapter 5. It's also uh, mentioned in Luke when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went. I love that. So Jesus went. He was asked. The scripture tells us that God knows what we need before we even ask him, but he does want us to ask. And some, I've even had some friends say, well, why? That just seems rather, no, it's actually a good thing. It's actually a good thing. He wants us to be in touch. He wants us to understand our own needs. But when I read this, I don't think of theological points. I think of my daughter. My daughter's a grown woman now, married to an amazing minister, and she has three perfect boys. Our grandsons are perfect in every way. And we are sorry about yours, but ours are just lovely. So, um, we enjoy them so much. Uh, my daughter was never seriously ill. Uh, she just did not have, even have much in the way of accidents. My son was never seriously ill, but when he was, what, one, um, he launched himself down the stairs in a laundry basket. We realized we, we have somebody else here now who is not his sister. And we, we watched him when he was, I think, 11, put on a boonie hat and strap on a knife and climb in a boat with some people and come back later that day with flounder. He had gigged in the swamps off South Carolina. And I looked at him and I said, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I'm, I'm thinking about going into the army. And I said, well, I, I think you'd scare them. Uh, I, I, I think you would. He eventually became a Marine and I'm, I'm pretty sure he fit in quite well there. The uh, point is, he had to go to the hospital. He got stitches. He had issues. When we, he walked in, it was like Norm walking into Cheers. It's like, Duncan, there's your room. Here's your mug. But my daughter, and I don't know how to explain this if you don't have children. The first time I saw my daughter, I cried. I think it was because I realized I was going to not have her long. One of these days, she'd be away. And every time I saw my son, I'd laugh. Like, pfft, sorry world, you know, he's coming. There's nothing you can do to change this, you know, and I'll take responsibility for it and read the newspaper and watch him on the news, but there he is. I cannot imagine my daughter being sick unto death. I cannot read this story without feeling gutted because daughters, there's something very precious about daughters. Now, if you're a son, I'm a son. My mom tells me I'm wonderful, but that's just because her memory's not what it used to be. But daughters. Mm. And please remember, back in this day and time, women were not valued that highly by most. But Jesus got up and moved for the daughter. Oh, but that's not it. Don't rush forward to the resurrection story. You've already heard this, me tell you this a hundred times, but you're not done hearing me say it. The miracle is the least impressive part. 
Don't let the miracle overshadow what's going on. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Um, two things there. Why did a large crowd gather? Well, there's no, what else you're going to look at? You're not going to go to the mall. Uh, this is a break in the tedium of your life. Until about your grandparents' age, your great-grandparents' age, there was little time for play. You worked all day just to get enough food to eat, to survive, to work all day tomorrow, repeat. You know, my father didn't play games. My father didn't do the hobby thing. He was, because he had never learned to play. And never had the spare time. So sometimes it's hard for us to understand, this is an amazing break in the day. So they move. Why are they pressing upon him? If you've not been overseas, you might not know this. There are many countries in which you have no personal space. None. I can remember the first time Cammie found this out in a Scottish market. When someone reached right past her, brushing her to get something and back. And she was just, she was waiting for the, oh, pardon me, I wasn't aware you were there. I said, honey, you don't own that space. You're in a different place now. In America, you do own a certain space all around you. You don't hear. It belongs to the queen, evidently. So we, anybody can do as they wish. So they're pressing and bumping him. By the way, Jesus got annoyed with this from time to time, if you'll notice. In the book of Mark, there, he spends a lot of time getting away. It's amazing how many times it talks about him getting away. Or if it doesn't do that, there's a pause and they'll say, and they found him here. <laughs> so Jesus was being jostled. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. This is a uterine bleeding. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors uh, and had spent all she had. And yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. Does that sound familiar? The older versions translate it a bit harsher. And that is, they'll say, she suffered much at the hands of doctors until she ran out of money. You know, I believe people that run insurance programs can go to heaven. I just think they're only allowed to stay three days. Um, it, is, it is stunning how often this still happens. And it's not because doctors are, 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 are cruel or mean or not caring, although I'm sure there are some. Uh, doctors, in my experience, are doing all they know how to do. But it's a, it's, there's a reason they call it practice medicine. It's not exact. It is difficult. By the way, Luke spins it slightly different. <laughs> he was a physician. <laughs> so if you read the account in Luke, doctors are off the hook. No matter what they did, just couldn't stop it. All right. We're not going to talk, we're going to hit this more in a bit, something you might not have known, but we'll move over. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. All right. That we can talk about already. Okay. Um, Women were not allowed to touch men that were not their husband, period, in public. They were not allowed to touch men, period, in private, unless they were a relative of theirs. This is a problem because of two things. One, she's in trouble for touching. Two, somebody's going to notice it happened and the rabbi needs to answer why he allowed such a thing to occur, this scandal among us. And again, before we get too self-righteous here, we need to think about um, what would happen if a sex worker came in and started hugging me. 
And you might go, well, that's not even equivalent. Yeah, it kind of is. No, she was not a sex worker. That's not the point. What I'm saying is every male-female interaction was monitored closely and scandal was scandal. And it could derail you very quickly. So, well, I mean, um, there was a great preacher in Madison, right here in the Tennessee area, who built the largest church at that time in that Church of Christ tribe. And as he was getting near to retirement, his elders came up to make a statement about how wonderful he was, which he was. And they brought out a seat and they sat him down and they washed his feet in front of the assembly as a sign of saying thank you. It was, it was a couple of years of attacking him in papers. For that's not an act of worship. We don't understand and that's just not a... And my father was one of those who made the, the constant criticisms and attacks. And I didn't understand exactly why, except I knew it wasn't part of the five, works of, um, five acts of worship. If you, don't, if you don't know what those are, it, it is giving. I'm going to put giving first because it seemed to be important. The Lord's Supper, singing, uh, reading and prayer, and then the lessons. Or you can also a sixth announcements there seemed to be. But this wasn't part of it. And it was a shocking thing. And all it was was people trying to show him respect and love. Think times that a thousand. But we go further. She's believing if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. We have no idea why she thinks this. Um, did things like that happen? Not often. This was not a, a land full of miracles. But she'd, what else is she going to do? Medicine's not helped. So immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd, this is very important, and asked, who touched my clothes? Now the NIV adds my clothes. And in the manuscripts it's who touched me. Because there was no difference to them. But the NIV is trying to make it more understandable to us. The apostles are going, a crowd touched you. Everybody's touching you. You're being jostled. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Why would you do this? Why would you call her out and call her forward? It is, it is embarrassing for her. This is not a war wound. This is not... Something she, she, you know, she damaged an arm or she was born with a birth defect. This is not like, this is in a, a very personal, intimate, very, you don't talk about this. Why would he go to her and call her out for the crowd? It's because she's not allowed to be there and she's in trouble. There's no way she gets in inside a crowd, touches a rabbi, and gets out unseen. With this sort of bleeding, the Old Testament, the Torah, the law, is that she can't even be with her family. She has to stay out in what modern writers call the red tent, the area where women were when they had their cycle. Now, this is not a punishing place. It was a place where there was mutual empathy. There was care for each other. It was also a break from the rules of society, from sexual demands from your husband, from uh, caring for children, cooking and cleaning, you got off on your own. And so it was designed 
to be a break for the women and a place of peace for them. But this woman has been in there for years and years and years. She's been locked away. She's not been able to go into town. She's not been able to go walk holding hands with her child in a park. She's not nothing. She's been trapped because she's unclean. Before she gets out of that town, there are going to be some men who, because they believe this is what God wants them to do, will attack her. They will beat her. They will throw stones at her. They will drive her. They will then go to her husband, and they will demand that he punish her further in a variety of ways. You can read about this when you read anything out of uh, this time period of history. So why is Jesus making it even more obvious who touched her? She falls at his feet, trembling with fear. And Jesus' first word to her is a word he never uses again. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And you are free from your suffering. What's going on there? What, why would he say daughter? It's a very specific term that he only pulls out for this one thing. Well, it's hard for us to actually grasp it because we don't use the same phrasing that they do. When he says, go in peace, we, when we say that, it's kind of like best of luck. You know, it's not what they meant. Under my protection. She's mine. And she's under my protection. She's leaving here in peace. Now, please remember that Jesus wasn't the little waif-like creature that you see in the paintings. Jesus had worked in a stonemason's shop. Some people say carpenter. We're pretty sure the word means stonemason now. So he would have had muscles and scars. He was tough enough that he entered a temple, threw things around and cleared it out, and the temple guard did not dare to touch him. He was big and strong enough that when he went down and asked the mob, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, that is me. The scripture says they fell down trying to get away from him. They were expecting the wave creature. They'd seen the pictures out of the Middle Ages, evidently. <laughs> what they got was a muscular, not handsome man. Remember, Isaiah said he would not be handsome. There may have been scars on him. But this is not a guy you want to deal with. And so Jesus is turning around to the crowd saying, this is my daughter, you leave her in peace. Now, I'm not a pacifist, and I have friends who are, and I respect them very deeply. There are many forms of pacifism, uh, and there are many forms of not being a pacifist. So don't ever put people in two boxes. They just don't fit. I really hope that I get to go to my grave without ever seriously harming another person. Uh, however, if somebody were coming to harm my daughter and take her life, and if, and I can't imagine what this scenario would be, but if I were there and had the ability to intercept, my personality would change. I would go from this sweet cherubic character you know. I'm not sure why they're laughing. I would become something else. And if I had to take that person's life to save my daughter... And if I could, I would. Now, if that disappoints some of you, I, I really do get it. Because I have friends that that does disappoint. We had a neighbor who was pacifist and made a good point of it. And, uh, and we talked. We were good friends. And I, finally, I said, John, you just need to know that 
if my son and I hear screaming coming from your house, we're coming in. And he says, well, yeah, I understand that, but I wish you wouldn't. I said, John, you're a pacifist. You can't stop us if I understand, if, <laughs> if I understand the rules. And again, he's, he was a noble, good guy. We were teasing because we were friends and neighbors, all right? And the story doesn't end with me winning him over or him winning me over. The whole point of the story is there's something about you don't mess with daughters. My son, again, Marine, he's six foot five. He's a big wad of mass muscle. And I know what you're thinking, just like his father. But no, <laughs> evidently I'm a height donor. Uh, I gave my height to my son. I wasn't using it, uh, obviously. I had kept it in store, unlike some of you selfish people. So he's a big fellow. And we have a granddaughter, one granddaughter. And I, I tell her she's the, my prettiest granddaughter and my favorite granddaughter. And she hasn't figured that out yet, so it's still special. But my son is already looking at his six-year-old daughter going, I need more ammo. I need, a, I need more rules. Where does one buy concertina wire? It is part of being a dad, isn't it? If you, if you value women, you value your daughters. Now do you understand why Jesus called her daughter? What is Jesus on the way to do? Did you forget this? He's on the way to do something. What is that? Oh, that's right. To heal a sick daughter. Do you see a theme? Oh, you ought to. When you read the Gospels, you'll see many themes. One of the biggest, loudest, and most repetitive is Jesus walking up and taking care of women that nobody else wanted to take care of. Loving them publicly when nobody else wanted them to be loved. Accepting them when no one else would. That's who Jesus is. It is it's, it's a huge part of his character. He came to do this. While he was still speaking, people ran up and told the ruler of the synagogue, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. Now, I am uh, overhearing what he said. Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. By the way, do not fear, fear not, is the most often given command out of Jesus. It is again and again, don't be afraid. I got you. Now, I imagine that this synagogue guy has fallen to the dirt or was headed down to it. And Jesus grabs him. And Jesus being a bigger guy, evidently, able to hold him. And I can see him not going, don't be afraid. Only believe. You know, Jesus wasn't the greatest showman. He wasn't there to do, and we can prove it by what happens here in just a bit. He was there for this man and his girl. Nobody else. And in my mind, he's grabbed him, and while he's holding him up, he's saying, don't be afraid. Believe. And you came to me because you said you believed in me. Hang on. Hang on just a little bit more. He didn't let anybody else follow them except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Now, did you notice that little phrase? You got a big crowd. How is one man going to stop them? <laughs> Jesus did. Turn around going, no, everybody out, go back to your houses. Nobody followed, and they didn't. And so Jesus walking around smiling, white, that's startling as well, glowing a bit, holding a lamb, is an incomplete picture. 
When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. loudly. By the way, appropriate, don't you think? I, I would be crying and wailing. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. We don't get the phrasing. This woman knew God has shown up, something is special. She wanted to touch him because there was nothing else. She had run out of everything else. So she, but God did not disappoint. God's an 1159 God. Have you ever noticed this? He's like the Calvary in an old Western. Only shows up in the last minute. I'm thinking, where were you? Well, they show up last minute. God just kind of bumps in. And whenever he's saying, why is all the... He's not, he's not being stupid. And he's not acting like bears being stupid. He's saying, hold it, hold it, hold it. This is temporary. In other words, I've got this. How many times Jesus has to say, I've got this. And they didn't believe him. So guess what he did? He sent them out. First, the next line, he put them all out. He didn't say, would you leave us alone, please? He put them out. Sweet Jesus, gentle, mild is not exactly who we find when we read the Gospels. Now, I'm not talking about toxic masculinity. But here's the problem. Men have been jerks and mistreated women for centuries. And now the, the, it seems like people want to shove it over to the other side. Both sides are in error. We can rejoice that my son is a boy and rejoice that my daughter is a woman. Sorry, my son's a man. He's, but my daughter is a woman. She's not a girl anymore. When I look at her, I, it, it, there even sometimes I hesitate to go over and hug her because that's a woman. You know, and I know she, she's okay with the hug, but my respect for her. You know, and I don't hug my son much because my feet dangle. Um, <laughs> You know, I love you, son. Let me down. Let me find a stool. Jesus put them out. Then he took the child's father and mother. First appearance of her. Brings her in. And the disciples who were with him went into where the child was. There's a song we sing. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained? Too deeply for mirth or song? It's an old hymn. Look it up. It's called Does Jesus Care? The chorus comes back resoundingly. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. Can we prove that? Oh, yeah. Look here. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, kum. He spoke in the language he used as a boy. When you are, well, let's say that you you know English perfectly, but you were raised in a Spanish-speaking family or community, and so English was your second. You're perfect with it. I guarantee you, if you're in the military and you hear the phrase frag out or anything like that, and you yell, it's going to be in Spanish. Why? You go back to your original. When you are grieved, in pain, or events are overwhelming you. He didn't speak Hebrew here. He didn't speak Greek. He there are arguments about whether he could have spoken Greek. I don't, I don't play those games. What he did was he went back to Aramaic, and the writers wanted you to know it. Why? Because it meant this broke his heart. 
The death of the girl, yes, but also the look on the faces. It means the little girl, get up. By the way, I don't like the way the NIV does it here. I say to you, give up, uh, get up. It's almost like, I say to you, get up. No, he wasn't making a show of it. Verb forms in other languages are very complex. You know, there are everything from the subjunctive to commands. And he is just saying, get up. And that he's the one speaking here. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anybody know about this. And told them, give her something to eat. Think about that. He didn't go, right? Let me just, you know, nothing up my sleeves. You know, this is good. prepare to be amazed. No, he reached over, he looked. Probably cried, even though it's not, it doesn't say that he did here. He cries a couple other places. So why not here? As this little girl get up, and when she does, just turns to him. I can almost see a little grin saying, just keep this to yourselves. But in the meantime, she's probably hungry. And he leaves. He does not stay for the people to come in and go, wow, and worship him. Because he's not interested in that. He just wanted to help the little girl. He didn't follow the woman back and now you may go to your husband. Husband, I restore unto you nothing that we would have expected him to do. If he'd done that, think of the followers. But see, that's one of the problems. Jesus had a job to do. He had to die and beat death. He had to destroy Satan's greatest tool. And if he had allowed everybody to follow him and see all the miracles, there's no way they would have crucified him. He has a job to do, and part of it involves nails and whips, and then a grave. Therefore, along the way, he is going to love, heal, restore, and then leave without ever making a show. Church, that's exactly what we are to do. We don't make a show. We don't run around seeing what we've done. The best biography ever written was written in the book of Acts, and it said about Jesus, quote, he went about doing good. That's it. I don't want that on my tombstone because I don't want a tombstone. I told Cammie, we watched a show the other day where a lady had her husband's ashes in the urn laying beside her in the bed, and I said, don't you dare. She's, she held up the vacuum. She said, no problem. <laughs> she didn't, but I thought it'd be funny if she had. <laughs> I don't want a tombstone. I don't want people to remember me at all. I want them to remember Jesus. And so every day we pray a little bit less like me, a little bit more like him. Because... It doesn't really matter what the world says, frankly. All that matters is what Jesus says. Would you please come up, Misha, and bring the team, and we will close this out, and let's see. And Doug, you'll be leading our closing prayers, so um, please take to the Lord for us anything on your heart, including our friends in Haiti.